This is Get a Load of This Podcast, where we cover topics for truckers and entrepreneurs alike. Our guests are coming straight from the trucking industry and industries that directly influence and impact the truckers and trucking companies. We want to bring tremendous value to today's leaders and entrepreneurs and our future of the trucking industry. The common passion amongst our hosts and our guests is one thing. It's you. It's you, the people that make this country move, the trucking industry. Enough with the introductions. Let's get this load on the road. We are your hosts, Thomas, Cameron, and Ryan. Let's get rolling. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to an episode of Get a Load of This Trucking Podcast. As always, I am your host, Cameron Pishy, uh owner of Valley Trucking Insurance and then founder of the podcast. Uh, I'm very, very excited about to today's guest. And um, it's something that's been just so important to the mission of the transportation and the trucking industry. And, and, and in my opinion, these are the leaders and your main advocate um, all the way up to the president and every different state's um, arena. And so with us today, I'm so excited to have our special guest, Chris Spear. He is the president and CEO of the ATA, American Trucking Association. Chris, how are you doing? I'm very well, Cameron. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on. And I think um, hopefully most of the listeners are members of the ATA. Uh, I know that we are in uh, several of the state associations, but I love you know hearing and listening to you speak. I had the pleasure of listening to you down in New Orleans for the Great West Casualty Agents Conference. And some of the topics you touched on are just so important to the trucking industry and to the mission and, and general well-being of the industry and truckers on an individual level. So I was so excited and honored when you agreed to come on and chat with us. So I, I want to thank you for your time. So happy, happy to do it. No problem. Yeah. Let's take a second. I would love to introduce you. Tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us your upbringing, what led you to the current position and and kind of uncover a little bit of why you're so passionate about the trucking industry. Well, I, that, thank you. I'm happy to do it. I, I come to the industry um, with pretty diverse background, actually. I did uh, about Uh, Eight to nine years on Capitol Hill working in the U.S. Senate uh, for three different senators, uh, cut my teeth largely on the Labor Committee. So workforce development issues are an area that I'm I'm probably most familiar with uh, just because of uh, the time I spent up there really shaping policy and laws. Uh, Took me over to the Department of Labor as assistant secretary um, for policy uh, during the George W. Bush administration. And uh, within that role, I handled the, all the regulatory proposals that came out of the department, clearing them through the White House. And it was really a, an opportunity to, to, to see the other side of that equation from the legislative branch to the executive. And within that time, we had 9-11 and uh, we invaded Iraq and Afghanistan. And there was a, a query by the White House for leaders from each department you know, whether or not they'd be interested in going over and running their sister department in Iraq. And I had several of those rules out for comment at the time. I had a nice uh, window uh, to do that kind of work and decided that was something uh, worthwhile and for the cause. So uh, I ended up running the labor ministry and then moved on from that to running the transition for all 25 Iraqi ministries as we handed back authority to the Iraqis. So ended my time there with the Pentagon and the Department of Defense 
and uh, then went to Honeywell for about uh, eight and a half years. Some of that here in the U.S. doing domestic policy and the rest of it uh, based out of Brussels and London, uh, handling Europe, Middle East, Africa. And I even picked up some of the Asia Pacific and Latin America portfolios. So very much a global role, um, you know, working in environments that were very, very uh, delicate, uh, if I can say, uh, you know, very, very uh, challenging environments with uh, you know, limited infrastructure, uh, really pretty shoddy governments, <laughs> but places that were important to, to American business and the American economy, whether it's uh, energy and environment issues to, uh, you know, technology issues. And we wanted a presence in those parts of the world. So Honeywell gave me that opportunity and really uh, took it and ran, uh, you know, as a global portfolio and then decided there was time to, to, to spend with a family. I took a little bit of time off and then ended back up in Washington and with ATA. So bringing all that full circle from legislative, executive, corporate, and then really focusing on advocacy for for an industry like trucking has been just a, a, a true honor. And I, I'm really enjoying it. I'm starting my eighth year uh, next month. Uh, it's hard to believe I've been in the role that long, but uh, really has been a, a, a great ride for seven years. I love the membership. I love uh, the, the companies and what they bring to, to the American economy and the consumers. But I love, I love the people, most importantly. I think the drivers, the technicians, the people that really make this industry operate uh, is, is the glue of the economy. Uh, it's been an honor representing them. So uh, I'm enjoying the job. Cameron. That's awesome. And there's no doubt that diverse background brings a great perspective on all levels that you guys are involved in. And um, I'm guessing you were able to see some, you know, good things that other countries and industries were doing, and then also some bad things that you can hopefully bring to us and help influence the decisions and the rules and the changes that you guys are fighting for. Is that correct? It is. I, I, you know, I, I reflect back regularly on on the experiences I've had and and how they've shaped you know my approach uh, to to leading this association. Um, they've also shaped my temperament, um, which is pretty well qualified. I I, I just I, I don't get rattled by by uh, some of the ridiculous antics and and <laughs> accusations that get made and. That's true in most industries. And ours is no exception. And, and, you know, candidly, my time in Iraq, Syria, Libya, I've been in three war zones. I've been shot at. Um, I've seen friends, uh, you know, pass as a result of, you know, just simply indiscriminate violence. And it's a very sobering environment to operate and work in and maintain your composure. And what that basically did, Cameron, is, is you know, it, it shaped a perspective that, when I'm in this role and things come at me uh, from multiple directions, almost simultaneously, it, you know, I always remember that. And, and I remember that, you know, you know that experience uh, was my Mount Everest and nothing here yeah. that uh, this job throws at me while challenging uh, is ever going to match bearings with that. So it, it allows me to really maintain a pretty steady focus on behalf of our members and in industry. Yeah. Now, do you have ties to trucking at all or growing up? Um, any family members or, or, cause I, I know that you're passionate. I've, I've heard you speak numerous times and the level of passion you bring is, uh, is amazing. Like I get so excited and amped up when I was listening to mm -hmm. you speak on behalf of the issues and, um, initiatives that you guys are fighting for. Tell us a little bit about where that passion comes from. Oh, I think, I think my, my folks are, are obviously, 
first and foremost responsible for that. I think my mother, you know, bred my common sense, um, you know, my, my faith and my commitment to the family, I think is, is certainly her doing. I think my dad, you know, certainly, uh, taught me to be, uh, you know, hardworking and apply myself. I think collectively, both of them taught me that what you hear, what you say, and what you do all have to be the same thing. And I've never forgotten that. And you're working in a town like Washington, where a lot of people struggle to get one of those three things right. It's important to do all three simultaneously if you're going to be successful at what you do. My dad uh, was a teacher, and in the summers, he trucked grain. And I can remember riding in the cab with him uh, at a very early age, three, four, five years old. And, you know, I really learned from that what hard work meant. And my dad did any job possible to put food on the table. And that's the kind of household I came from. My brother-in-law, Rob, uh, is a trucker today. He's an owner-operator and uh, he's worked fleet. He's worked dispatch. He's done about every job you can possibly manage. And he runs his own truck. He maintains his own truck. And he's out there right now getting the job done. And yeah, just I love those reference points because they hit home. There's, there's really no separation between my family and this industry. When I look through that lens, I, I see family. And when I'm embraced by this industry for representing them, uh, whether it be in Washington or you know in these states where, where I work with our state association executives, it's comforting to know that I'm, I'm surrounded by people that treat you as family. And uh, that's a place I'd, I've always wanted to work and, uh, again, honored and privileged to be able to do it. Yeah, I love it. And uh... Yeah, there's no doubt that that's where that comes from. And I can feel it too when you speak. So kudos to them. They did a great job there. And and no doubt the family uh, statement's so true because ATA is gosh, what are they're over 80 years old. I want how how old has the ATA been around? 90 years now. 90, 90 years. So such a long time and and last I I think when we joined there was over 30,000 members. Uh, I believe is that still about accurate? Yeah, I think uh, collectively with the state associations, we uh, we, we probably tally around thirty three thousand members, uh, large, medium, and small. I, I'm quick to point out that the lion's share of those uh, over seventy five percent or less than twenty uh, trucks. So I, I like that because yeah, the, the the big guys definitely keep our lights on. I'm not dismissive of that, but uh, in terms of reach. In every state, every uh, congressional, you know, delegate, you know, delegation around the country, uh, we've got presence in those states and districts, and that is very, very impactful. Um, yep. I've been in issues and scraps on Capitol Hill where some of my biggest members didn't have the relationship with a congressman who happened to be on the fence, and it was that you know five truck, ten truck member that did have that relationship, picked up the phone and turned that vote in our favor. Now, does that member with five trucks? Um, you know, bring to the table as much value as the the largest uh, fleet that we have represented as an ATA member. Absolutely, and I love the reach, and it just shows that we we can touch pretty much anyone that's elected in this country with our story, and you know, make a difference. And that that really is leveraging the full breadth and depth of the ATA Federation. I love it, no doubt about that. And I think what resonated with me uh, more than anything is. These folks will say something, but then it's up to the public, the industry associations like the ATA to hold them accountable to what they said. And I know you have no <laughs> issues calling people out on things that they are talking about doing and then say they're going to get done and whether or not they get done in a timely manner or hold the timeline that they said. I feel like a lot of that is where you bring a ton of value is just 
talking about the hard things. Yeah, and that's important. Uh, it's an important reminder to to all of us that vote that these folks, and, and, and I say this with utmost respect to our elected uh, officials, but they work for us. They work for you. They, they are people that need to be held accountable uh, because if you don't meet with them, if you don't tell them your story, if you don't make an ask, you're not doing your job. As the constituents and voters, we have a responsibility to have our voice heard. That's what AT is there to do. It's also there to make certain that the elected officials hear that and respond to it accordingly. And when we're simply misaligned, uh, that's when bad things happen. So ensuring that our story is consistently told in the House, the Senate, the administration, in every state house, and in the courts, it is a steady cadence that I assure you is the baseline foundation of, of a democracy. And, and I, I really feel strongly that every, every person's voice, every vote uh, matters. And at ATA, our members are part of that fabric. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, with telling a, a congressman or a senator how we feel about an issue and more importantly, asking them, do they agree? Don't give them an out. Don't let them say, I'll, I'll think about it and I'll get to it if it ever comes up for a vote. Uh, no, we're going to run with the notion that it is up for a vote right now. Where are you? Are you with us or are you against us? Are you a champion or are you a foe? We want to put that squarely in front of them and let them know that their vote matters to us. And uh, representing our industry, you're, you're, you're looking at 72.5% of the economy that gets, gets moved by truck. You're looking at you know food. Uh, drinks, clothing, medications. Uh, we saw that during COVID. Uh, they started to understand it wasn't just you know bread, milk, and eggs and fuel. It was the test kits, the PP, and the vaccine itself. And yeah. people began to realize from their homes as they were ordering, you know, within a 24, 48-hour delivery time, how that actually happens depends on whether or not there's a dedicated, you know, patriotic driver, a man, a woman, a husband, a, a wife, a father, a mother that gets behind that wheel and makes that actually happen. And that story was told at the highest volume. So accountability matters. And I think it is our job as a 90-year-old trade association to make sure that we're telling it at, at uh, you know level of 11. Yeah. And it's been consistent well before COVID. It's unfortunate it took an event such as COVID to maybe give the truckers a little bit more thanks and kudos than they deserve. Because as you mentioned, they move, well, pretty much everything. We're doing this podcast or you know, with a computer and microphones and phones and clothes on our back that came off of a truck. So, you know, people need to realize that. And then more importantly, when you start running out of food or, you know, toilet paper was kind of the surprising one that <laughs> kind of popped up. But also things like uh, medicines, you know, the people that get shipped medicines to their home for diabetes or whatever, oxygen or any of that kind of stuff, you realize how quick that it could turn catastrophic if for whatever reason, the trucking industry stopped moving the freight. And so I think it did bring a focus. Um, I'm glad it brought a focus, but it, it was unfortunate it took an event like that for the public to notice. So you guys have been a great microphone and voice for the trucking industry for years and years, well, for 90 years now. And I think it just deserves to be shouted out and just constantly reminded to the public what it means and, and how grateful they should be for the trucker. So... Well, I appreciate that. I agree. And, you know, it just, it's a constant reminder. We, 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 uh, 
our hardworking industry. And I respect the fact that our members are out there getting the job done. Our drivers are out there driving. Technicians are working on the equipment. They have a job to do. And, and yeah. at times we, we need them to focus on those things and, and building trust and an understanding what ATA does for them. They're able to delegate to us and, and let them, you know, do their job while we do ours. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not a, a trucking expert. I've, I've been in transportation with Honeywell. I've done a lot of things around the world. I've seen government and its impact on on industries like ours, but I haven't specifically uh, been a trucker. I am, I'm an expert, I believe, on government. And so I rely on the members. I rely on the drivers, technicians, the people out there to help me shape that understanding. And I will take that and tell that story. And I can navigate the the garbage that that gets thrown at uh, industries when they need a change. Uh, all the politics, all the roadblocks. I've been doing that a long time, and I know how to break through that stuff. My team and I are very well versed at it, and so that's what we're hired to do. And you know, it allows our members to go do their job. And uh, I think it's it's it creates a real good trust and harmony as we represent them going forward. Yeah. And at the end, we'll put some resources and links and newsletters and stuff to follow. So we'll definitely feature some of those. What would you say, since you've, uh, your tenure there, eight coming on the nine years there, um, have been some of the biggest victories that you're very passionate and proud about? Let's talk about mm-hmm. some of the wins. We've had some big ones. Uh, you know, I came into this role, almost didn't get the job. I'll just be candid with you. Um, I interviewed in, in, shared my my candid views of association life. I didn't pick on any particular association, but you know, I've been around them a long time. I had worked in ATA a couple years and just candidly, I don't like complacency. I definitely don't like incompetence, but complacency will drive me crazy. I just like getting stuff done. I like winning. And that was what I came into the interview with is that, hey, if I'm going to do this, this is what I would do and probably do much differently than what you're accustomed to. We're going to, we're going to put in place a structure, a team that's very versed at, at winning, uh, that's very strategically minded and very aggressive, getting up every day hungry for that win. That's the kind of people we want working for us that can break through those barriers and really put some wins on the board. And we did that at the gate. They, they bought into that and, and right out of the gate, we were able to, to, put together um, almost an immediate victory within months, a resounding defeat of the Obama era hours of service restart rule. That was a a major victory that we helped lead. We did it legislatively in a bipartisan way, both in the Senate and the House. And it, it presented a bill, a large bill that this was tucked into that President Obama had no option but to sign and kill his own regulation. And that was right out of the gate. It was such a culmination of great work by the team and one I'm most proud of uh, because it really sent a message to our members. This is what we said we would do. We listened to you. This is your top priority. And we went and got it done. And that led to other victories on the, on the broader scale trade, USMCA, as it replaced NAFTA, the comprehensive tax bill, uh, you know, we really wanted to make sure that we had uh, fairness within the tax code for our industry, large and small. We uh, moved on from there to infrastructure, which we testified on 25 times before the House and Senate, and finally got that delivered. So, you know, roads and bridges, those are our, sh- that's our shop floor. 
that's where we do our business. And we need good roads and bridges, not just for safety and, and less congestion, uh, but for productivity. And, and we, we got that. And that's going to be a, a big shot in the harm over the next uh, five years as, as that unfolds. So very excited about that passage. Um, we got some pretty good legal victories too. We, we've uh, seen uh, the defeat of the Rhode Island truck only tolling scheme. Now it's Rhode Island, tiny state, but had that gone forward, you would have seen New York, Connecticut, Indiana, my home state of Wyoming, states that you do operate in uh, would be having truck only tolling schemes to pour through the couch cushions to find that extra change. And they look at us like a rolling piggy bank. So make concern we had a shot across their bow that we're not going to allow that to impede interstate commerce. We won that in federal court. Uh, we also had the uh, big victory in the Supreme Court, 6-3 decision to bounce the uh, Biden administration's vaccine mandate, which would have just been devastating for our industry and, and economy. And we knew full hand that, that OSHA didn't have the authority to do it. It was a PR stunt that could have killed the economy. And, and we rocked it in six months. We had that thing through two federal district courts, the Supreme Court, and bounced it out. And, and that was a resounding victory that you know, upheld the, you know, the law and uh, our industry's ability to continue doing business uh, accordingly. So, yeah, I like where we're playing. Um, you know, we played in the federal you know, level Congress uh, administration. So whether it be laws uh, on the Hill or regs that uh, are done by the agencies or even uh, decisions in the courts. But the one area that we hadn't played as much as ATA was, uh, you know, in the states. So usually the states support us. We've reversed that on lawsuit abuse. We're now supporting the states, capital to capital around the country. We pick states up to five a year that want to go after lawsuit abuse and change those laws to create fairness and transparency and really expose the plaintiff's bar for what they are. It's a, they're a bunch of cowards. Uh, they're a bunch of thieves. Uh, they're, they're truly stealing money from victims and their families and padding their own pockets and then going after our industry, going after our companies with these nuclear verdicts. And in doing so, we're talking, you know, hundred million dollar decisions. These are putting companies out of business meaning, you know, thousands of employees and taking food, you know, hard earned food off their kitchen table. And that to me is just simply un-American. It's unacceptable. And we have to expose that. We've got to show that vile side of the plaintiff's bar and, you know, tell them that we're not going to roll over anymore. We're going to change those laws state by state. It's a 10-year campaign. And Cameron, we've already won in, in states like Missouri, Louisiana, Texas, Montana, West Virginia, and just recently in Florida and Iowa, and we're going to keep taking it to them until uh, they don't they don't want to you know pick on us anymore. They'll go to somebody else, but it ain't going to be trucking. Oh man, I get excited hearing that. And, I, and being in insurance, obviously, I deal with that the most on seeing the uh, nuclear verdicts and the adoption of the reptilian theory and the things and the tactics they were using to sway the judgments in in favor of you know, viewing these trucking companies as a rolling ATM. And it was, it is devastating. It's unfortunate. It sends ripple effect across the entire industry and affects everybody. Some of the states that come to mind, which I'm glad you listed one of them on there would be Florida. Um, you know, Texas comes to mind, California, Nevada, even up into probably Oregon, Washington state and that kind of stuff. So I know that they're in the site. So I'm excited to see how that progresses. Yeah, I got to say, Florida is a, a, they're all very good victories. Um, that one in particular raised some eyebrows because before that bill got signed into law by Governor DeSantis, 
led by Morgan and Morgan, what a vile mm-hmm. group of people they are, got uh, led the effort to get over 350,000 lawsuits filed before the bill got signed. Wow. And now if anybody out there, you know, any publication, any news media outlet, any elected official is wondering is this really a problem? Look no further than Morgan and Morgan and what they did in Florida. 350,000 frivolous lawsuits filed before that got signed into law. Yeah, that's a big problem. And that's what we're up against as an industry. And if we don't come together, if we don't get loud, you know, this is a this is a a a, a concerted effort to put our industry company by company out of business. And you're only rewarding you know, the trial lawyers, this isn't money going to the victims and their families. They're flying jets. They're, they're floating yachts. They're out there advertising billboard after billboard. That stuff ain't cheap. And, you know, when you're driving down an interstate in in Louisiana or Kentucky, and you're just seeing every quarter mile to a mile, another one of these just ridiculous ads to call this lawyer. If, if in a truck accident, you know, two thirds of the accidents that involve trucks, this is FMCSA DOT data, two thirds of the accidents that involve trucks are caused by passenger vehicles, the four wheelers. It's mm-hmm. texting and it's speeding. They're running into the backs or the sides of us. And they want to blame us for that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, we got to stand up and get loud. And, and this, this is an effort that's having, uh, it's bearing fruit. And we're really pleased with the progress we're making. Thanks largely to our state executives and those state associations that are getting the job done. Yeah. And, uh, that's, those are huge victories. And yeah, when you mentioned Florida, even though, yeah, I've heard it and and I know you guys have mentioned that, uh, that's one to me that I think is a huge victory across the board because it's a precedent setting state, I feel like. So now I, yeah, the, the texting and all this technology and all these people causing the crashes from an insurance standpoint, I see it all the time. People will literally rear end a parked truck, but somehow, they're trying to make it the truck's fault on whether or not they had a speeding ticket before and the hours of service thing come into mind and the, you know, the hiring practice of this trucking company. But I can tell you firsthand from dealing with thousands of different trucking companies and clients that they do want to be good at what they do. They want to be safe. They have safety in mind first because they want their driver home safe back to their family. But more importantly, too, they do want the public safe. You know, a lot of times they're going to take that runaway ramp or they're going to take that truck and try to take it out of harm's way and hopefully not end up into some four wheelers. Unfortunately, the news, you hear those incidents and that pop up and they get a lot of play because it's so tragic and it is very tragic. But there's so many accidents and so many occurrences that you'll never hear about where the trucker, unfortunately, probably lost their life on doing something to put the put public in a safe spot. And so I think the public needs to know that these truckers are trying to do the best they can. They are conscious about safety. They are proactive on addressing and fixing problems. And obviously DOT plays a factor from CSA and the regulations help support that. But I can tell you that it, they're very mindful of it because it affects insurance rate. It affects who they can hire. It affects the loads that they can get. These brokers look at how they perform all these different technologies and services that people can get access to spotlight these trucking companies. Now you can't hide, right? It's yeah. all out there. It's public data. And so 
Um, I think used correctly, it puts these trucking companies in a good spot and it makes them defendable. It's what I work on heavily talking with clients are, you know, how's your hiring practices? Do you do the drive test? Do you onboard them? Do you do corrective measures? If there's an incident, do you do root cause analysis? There's a bunch of things that I'm telling you, these companies do that. That's what these attorneys start looking for. What did they not do? Where can we find holes? What can we punch a hole in? This guy had an issue and they never, you know, whatever. So it's unfortunately, we got to think that way. But, um, you know, victories like that hopefully will help put that on the forefront and, and make it aware to the public there. I think another big thing that at least pops up on my radar is the energy right? Um, California is a leading voice in, you know, making everything green and going electric and putting deadlines on stuff. Where are you guys at in that topic? Well, I, I think it's, it's become in, in recent months, largely, uh, due to some regulatory decisions by both, uh, our federal EPA and what's called CARB, California Resources Board based in Sacramento. It's a, it's a unelected board, by the way. I want to point that out. Unelected board. It's a bunch of appointed hacks by the governor of California that have come in and basically put forward timelines that are not only unachievable, uh, they're they're absolutely destructive and they will fail. Uh, they will fail miserably, but if left unchanged, they will fail at the expense of our industry, our supply chain, and our economy. And uh, you know, both EPA and CARB are responsible for this. And I'd like to point out that, you know, by working with us over the last 40 years, EPA, regardless of the administration, has sat down and tried to put forth objectives that were not only achievable with innovation and technology, but adoption. And phase one, phase two of emissions over the last 40 years largely reflect that. They weren't perfect rules, but they were ones that we were able to accommodate because they had reasonable timelines, most importantly. And as a result of that, since the 80s, we've been able to reduce emissions by 98.5%. What comes out of the tailpipe today is that clean. Uh, so we're really you know, only talking about the remaining 1.5%, mostly nitrogen oxide, NOx, and it's very tough to remove. Uh, innovation, adoption of equipment that'll you know, have good stringency standards you know, is going to take some time. But, you know, looking back over 40 years of the EPA, we, we, we've collectively as an industry, our OEMs have, have innovated to the point where 60 trucks today emit what one truck in 1988 emitted. And that, that really is an, an outstanding accomplishment. It's a great story. And it shows that our industry is very much proven very much to be in favor of clean air and clean water. Now, Fast forward, we, we're going forward with phase three on NOx. We're going forward with EPA is doing um, the, you know, the electrification and the timelines that they have and the, and the shape of their rules candidly are not, not you know, altogether in good stead, meaning they're not ripe for prime time. So, you know, you got a timeline, you got an election coming up and they obviously want to continue pushing at the behest of the environmental lobby, which in Washington really is the 800 pound gorilla there there is literally no piece of legislation uh, under a democrat led senate and formerly a democrat led house that did not have a climate change component to it i mean it's it, they are a massive presence in in washington and with this administration well they handed the keys recently uh, over to carb the epa waived 
they're doing the rule uh, and allowing CARB, who was further along in their process, uh, to go forward. So 0.02 instead of 0.05, their advanced clean truck rule, followed by their advanced clean freight uh, fleets rule, uh, are going to go forward uh, starting January 1 of next year and 2030 for uh, fleets. And essentially, you're going to start phasing out combustion engines. And we're going to be moving to electric. We're going to be moving to hydrogen. I don't suggest those things are inev- you know, impossible to do. I, I think it's inevitable that innovation will get us to those points. But um, the timelines that CARB has are completely unachievable, and they'll fail. And there's going to be a lot of waivers, going to be a lot of finger pointing. Uh, it's going to be very confusing. It's going to be very litigious. And we're trying to inject some common sense into this debate and saying, look, we're not anti-environment. Look at our record for the last 40 years. If you work with us, we'll work with you. But what CARB's doing, thanks to the EPA just handing them the keys, is they become the United States of California, a fourth largest economy. All these other states that love Cali are going to follow Cali. And you know we're just going to have to conform to them. And our elected officials in Washington are you know, in a position where they can either act or they're going to allow this to happen. And it's our responsibility to get loud. It's our responsibility to make sure that we become energy independent in the United States, which we were under the last administration, that we use that over the next few years as a, as a logical bridge to alternative energy sources, you know, like wind, like hydro, like solar, like hydrogen, like, you know, electric, wherever it gets generated from, but we do it over the course of several years and decades, not in five to 10 years. It'll devastate our industry's ability to service this economy. It'll put millions of people out of work. And it's just a mad dash to zero without any common sense. So you're going to have to have infrastructure. There's no place to plug in. And even if you had all that in place, you're going to have to have power to flow through that infrastructure. And they don't have that. Right now, we know through ATRI research that it would take 40% more capacity to charge all existing cars and trucks that are currently on our roads in America. Where's that 40% going to wow. come from? Especially in California, where they already have rolling blackouts. Right. Where's the minerals for the batteries going to come from? The, over 80% of it comes from China. Well, I don't think anybody on either side of the aisle, Dems or Republicans, want to you know, do business and rely on China for our, our minerals. So if not there, Congo, we really want six-year-olds mining our minerals. So if, you, if you're not going to do it in either of those two countries, you're going to have to domesticate that. And I don't see this environmental lobby allowing those uh, mining permits to get issued. So where's the minerals, the cobalt, the, the, the lithium, the, the graphite, the nickel, those four alone are not coming from the U.S. And the environmental lobby is not allow us to, to get them here out of the U.S. soils. So uh, our manufacturers aren't going to have access to sourcing. And that's going to only inflate price and it's going to limit availability. And you're talking price parity right now, five to one. I mean, yeah. who on earth has got the money to afford if you could get the electric tractor or the hydrogen tractor? If you wouldn't have the infrastructure or the power, flow, power flowing through it to even charge it or fuel it. So these are all issues, Cameron, that we're just saying have to get addressed in order to get to zero. And nobody seems to want to have that conversation to CARB. So (laughs) strap in. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I feel like just common sense looking at the rollout in the uh, private sector, you know, you got some companies that have really failed to launch at scale for product for production. Um, and there's, eh, they're starting to get a little bit of infrastructure for the charging piece, but then you run into the issues where cars are sitting there for well over an hour just to get charged because of the, the use. And then we don't even touch on the repairs, right? Cost of repairs for an electric vehicle with all the technology built in and what they're trying to achieve are astronomical. And then there's no capacity. And then you run into the shortage of parts, equipment, or let alone labor. We haven't even touched on the labor piece of who's qualified to work on these at that yeah, point. Yeah, and what, what do you do oh. with the batteries once they've been recycled? Uh, oh, their that, life cycle's done. They're a hazardous material, right? Where do you dispose yeah. them? Who's liable yeah. for that? These are all. Legit questions that nobody seems to want to talk about on the environmental side, the administration, Eric Carb. We are. We're getting really loud about this and yeah. need to be because it's our industry's future that's at stake. But beyond that, it's the American economy. I mean, this could yeah. crush our ability to be the world's leading economy. And to me, conceding that to China is completely unacceptable. But that's what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, I got to tell you, when I look at it, uh, this carefully, you know, we have as an industry right now, the opportunity to cut emissions faster than what CARB is proposing. Now, it's, not listening. It's, a very, it's a very simple solution. Just get rid of the federal excise tax, incentivize the purchase of existing brand new equipment, and you will cut emissions in California by up to 83% right now, right now. And, and it's amazing because, um, you know, that 98.5% that we've removed from the tailpipe, when we looked at the trucks running in California right now, 53% of them, Cameron, are, are 2010 or older. So if you can replace those 2010 or older trucks with brand new diesel trucks available today by getting rid of the FET, incentivize that, you'd reduce emissions by up to 83%. If the goal is to reduce emissions, why aren't we doing that? I, I mean, it's it has to be the goal, right? And, yeah. and is that the goal? Yeah, I think it's the goal. And I think that's the bridge. And then push back the the timelines for electrification and hydrogen and all that to one that's achievable and that doesn't destroy our industry or, or economy. So we think that's the, the common sense way to do it. It's good yeah. for the environment. It's good for the economy. What's What's not to like there? I think it's great. And I think the China point is relevant. I know that I feel like Taiwan's building a large plant down eh, Texas or somewhere, but then look at what's going on with China, right? What does that do with Taiwan? I mean, there's so many things that tie in that are, in my opinion, uh, dangerous, I guess. And it's like, eh, that's a little, you're giving up a lot of control for a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think, um, I think common sense is, is lost in many instances, everybody's so quick, uh, Cameron, to get out that tweet to yeah. make their point and not really look at data, not look at facts, not look at anything but emotion and rhetoric that drives that tweet. And social media is is responsible for a lot of this. It, it removes the 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 you know opportunity to, to sit down with someone and have a conversation and find common ground. And that's what we're missing on Capitol Hill. That's what we're missing in the administration and certainly in our courts and you know, a lot of this stuff is playing out for reasons beyond uh, logic. And we're just trying to inject the right questions and say, you know, let's have some common sense here because this is going to cripple our economy, if not destroy it, and along with it, our industry. And to me, 
that's unacceptable. Yeah. And I think that all the truckers should be mindful of this. And if you don't have time to write letters or be the voice, then you need to be a part of associations like the ATA, your state and at all levels and make them be your voice, right? Get that out. Let the concern be known. Um, one of the other things I did want to touch on, and then this probably will bring us close to wrapping up is labor and workforce and shortage of drivers and all the things that are going on in that arena. Obviously that's a lot, but let's just touch on a couple things that, um, are important to the ATA that are being worked on that are even the thoughts. Yeah, I think this is, you know, like energy and environment, this is a front burner, uh, tier one issue for ATA. And has been for quite some time, but it's it's ramped up as a result of this administration and California, the breeding ground of all bad policy, carbon <laughs> included. Um, but California, it's Sacramento, it's synonymous. So, you know, it's a concerted effort. It's an all-out assault on our workforce, starting with independent contractors. And, you know, this AB5, Assembly Bill 5 in California, to the pending rule at the Department of Labor, to a pending decision at the National Labor Relations Board, this is a concerted effort to dismantle, reclassify independent contractors and essentially make them, you know, exposed for unionization. This is all about organizing campaigns and ramping up big labor bosses' budgets uh, by getting those members in. And they wanted to go after this crop of 350,000 independent contractors, of which we've got 70,000 in California. Well, hell, I'm already short, as our numbers show, 78,000 drivers across the industry uh, to just meet demand, we measure that regularly. They double that just by AB5. And so, you know, I, I, I always quickly point out to any elected official, anyone that's, that's responsible for this insanity, this all-out assault on our industry, have you ever sat down and actually had a conversation with an independent contractor? Okay, don't listen to me. I guess I'm the evil employer because I'm, I'm uh, you know, the one who's denying them you know, their pay or their benefits, go talk to an independent contractor. They'll tell you why they chose that path. Nobody put a gun to their head. Chris Beer's not responsible for them choosing that path. They chose it because, you know, they wanted the flexibility. They wanted the independence. They got a business on the side. They wanted seasonal work. Whatever the reason is, that's their choice. Not a member of Congress, not a member uh, of Sacramento's legislature, or, or not a uh, you know a regulator at the wage and hour division at DOL. It is a IC's decision to choose that path, and case law has supported it for over nine decades. And they want to erase it just to organize them. So this is a threat, uh, like many others that we've talked about today, that require ATA and and others in industry to get loud about it. I think we are on the side of the angels with this one. Once you expose it, like the trial lawyers, uh, they run for the hills. They, they know their agenda has been blown. Their cover's blown and they're exposed. And nobody likes being exposed in Washington. Well, that's kind of our job is to make sure that they are you know, on posters everywhere you see them. <laughs> we want everybody to know about you know, the, the, just the wrongdoing they're, they're bringing to the table, uh, both federally and at the state level. And this is one of those assaults that we've got to get aggressive on. 
Yep, I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I think there's a lot of uh, benefits, too, for the independent contractors with taxes and write-off opportunity and programs that are available for investments and things like that. It's just a little bit of education to the independent contractor and a little bit more business savvy education sent to them, which is that that's our whole goal with the podcast, to be honest with you, is just to bring advocates or tools or resources or education or or simply stories from other um, owner operators to fleets to whoever we've had on just to get that out there for educational purposes. And so, yeah, you talk to these guys, they don't, they, they're not, <laughs> I haven't talked to any that have been a fan of this ruling <laughs> at all. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll name her out because we, we know her well. She's an America's road team captain. Um, yeah. she, she's taken the steps to be very vocal. She's gone on Fox news. She's talked to members of Congress and her name is D Sova and she's an independent contractor driving for prime. She moved from California with her family, uh, her children, uh, to Missouri, to Springfield, uh, because of California. She just figured she could not make a living there. And, and that's what California is doing, whether you're an owner operator, an independent contractor, or a fleet driver, or whether you work for a big corporation like Toyota. Why do you think all these corporations are moving out of California? It, it, it's the state is suffocating you know, the American dream, the American spirit. And our industry has long embraced it. And we, we just simply cannot, you know, roll over to this. It's, it's got to be a unified effort uh, to represent everybody in our industry, including ICs who are in this instance getting, uh, you know, the short end of this stick. And so, you know, DSOVA has been one of those that's been wonderful to work with, uh, just, just an outstanding person, not only a great driver, she's a wonderful parent. And she has a North Star compass that just, it just is so impressive, Cameron. And, you know, I go out and I talk to the DeSovas, you know, that's who, that's my audience. That's who, you know, I want to hear from, not some, you know, regulator or or legislator in Sacramento or US DOL here in in DC. I want to talk to the real people and, and it's a reminder to Congress, that's who you're supposed to be representing. Yeah. And uh, you're reminding them of that. And that's why we're grateful for everything. Man, that's so much good stuff to talk about. And this could go on and go on and go on. But uh, you guys do a great job about putting out blogs and newsletters and being active on social because that's where people are at anyway with Twitter or Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Where can folks that, um, for whatever reason, aren't following you or aren't uh, part of the association find out more and sign up or learn more about what they could be doing or their dollars could be doing? Well, we certainly want to work with you to promote this and, and the work you're doing to really amplify it. Um, you're taking the time to really you know, delve deep in these issues. And I'd ask every member and every person in our industry to, to do the same, whether it's talking to your elected officials, um, you know, hosting, uh, you know, elected officials and, and people responsible for overseeing our industry uh, host them at your facility, get them up into the truck, take them for a drive. It, 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 it's impactful. You're making a difference. And to the degree we can help you promote, uh, you know, my team stands ready to do it. Our website, www.trucking.org is uh, really a good resource. It's got a really, you know, a long list of good issues that are outlined and captured what I've shared today. And, you know, I think uh, it's a good site to start with and direct you toward uh information that's impacting our industry. 
Yep. And then from there, there's blogs and you guys can follow their Facebook page and I'll put show notes in there for um, the website and, and different things that you can be engaged with. So uh, Chris, I so appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming in and, and sharing just a little glimpse about what you do. Cause I know that that just hardly even touches anything that you do on a day to day and like the outline for the overall year and initiatives. And it's all, it's ever evolving too, right? Different, uh, <laughs> different groups come in, different issues arise or different alliances arise. And, and so it's, uh, you gotta be, you gotta adapt a little bit as well. So I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate the time, Cameron, and uh, good luck to you and look forward to seeing you again out there. All right. Thank you. For everybody, you can follow us on Facebook. A lot of good resources in there. As always, share this with your friends. Give it a like. Put it out there. We're on all the different major platforms, Apple, Spotify, you name it. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for what you do. 